0: Hey, it's Marcel. Let me get honest with you for a minute. We've reached a time in history when building up strong leaders truly matters if you want to grow your business. But managing through fear, command and control, and do as I say ways of managing is not going to get you there. So, what will? In my research, I found that the most effective leadership boils down to six key behaviors. They are behaviors that when filtered down to every management level, can create high performance in your teams and build a great work culture. By the way, this is the new topic that I speak on at company events and conferences and virtual stages all over the world. It's great for keynotes, webinars, half-day or full-day workshops, and leadership retreats. So if you wanna learn a clear and practical framework To help design the best work environment for your people to flourish, this is the way to go, and I can show you how to do it. To book me for your event, visit my website, Marcelschwantis.com, and click on Speaking. Enjoy the show.
1: The future of work isn't about shareholder value, technology, metrics, or automation. It's about being human and putting people first through actionable love. Welcome to the Love and Action podcast, where we hold deep conversations with extraordinary people to help you grow as a leader and expand your business. Here's your host, Marcel Schwantes.
0: What's up, Love and Action tribe? Happy Thursday to you. Today is a special episode. We are celebrating our 200th episode. Can you believe it? I'm told that only 10% of podcasts globally even reach 100 episodes, so I'm grateful that we've lasted this long, and a big reason for it is that you guys keep coming back. I mean, seriously, without our listeners, we would have packed it in a long time ago, so we're grateful and honored that you chose to spend time with us today and, and that you do it every week because there are literally millions of podcasts out there, so thank you. I applaud you. So the Love and Action podcast has truly become a global community now. I mean, we're in 165 countries and counting that jump in and join us in our Love and Action conversation. And uh you know, and the other reason of course that this show is so so successful is because of our incredible guests from the very first guest who started this rodeo back on March 21, 2019, Erica Keslin, author of Bring Your Human to Work and Rituals Roadmap, uh, graciously accepted our very first invitation to come on the show. You know, back then, <laughs> getting 100 downloads was a good day for us. And then after that, we were off to the races. And then it got really fun. World-class luminaries started dropping in to join the conversation. Ken Blanchard, Richard Sheridan, Stally Helgeson, Dory Clark, Francis Fry, Bill George, Marshall Goldsmith, Stephen M. R. Covey, Chester Elton, Amy Edmondson, Edgar Schein, Jim Kuzis, Wayne Baker, Whitney Johnson, Douglas Conant. And the list goes on and on and on. You know, there are podcasts out there that have huge advertising budgets. And, you know, they have whole marketing teams cranking out expensive PR campaigns, right? That's not us. We're a small team. It takes about four of us to put an episode together from the, the writing to the design and the editing and post-production. So we operate... On the safe assumption that by putting out good content with compelling conversations with A-listers and, and staying true to our message, we will create trust and loyalty with you. And we would hope, of course, that you would share our, our podcast with a friend, a coworker, a boss, and you know maybe even write up a good review on Apple Podcasts for us. That's all we ask. That's our marketing strategy right there it's 100% organic and you know we depend solely on you to share what we feel is a true calling it's not to make money not a penny is earned for making this show and in fact we rely a lot on sponsors to keep us going so the reason we do this show is 100% mission and what's the the the, the real driver though that keeps us going well plain and simple It's to end suffering in the workplace. That's it. Because in my research, I found that in truly human workplaces, you know, those companies that are also profitable and making a mark in their industries, care, compassion, well-being, inclusion, and the empowerment of people show up at every leadership level. And and these pro-social behaviors or virtuals, run counter to fear, anxiety, greed, what else? Micromanagement, self-centeredness. And so this is the essence of leadership, love, and action. It's what's prevalent in the employee experience. When these caring and loving behaviors show up, practically speaking, we're not talking about any of the romantic stuff of love. We're talking about love showing up to benefit other people, when these things show up, it carries over to the customer experience to produce extraordinary business outcomes. So in practice, it greatly reduces stress and anxiety, it raises performance, and it increases value, loyalty, and trust across the whole organization. Therefore, our mission is plainly stated as love and action unleashes the human spirit to reach its full potential. And that's how we will end suffering in the workplace. So for our 200th episode, I'm bringing in someone I highly admire. He has helped me get a lot of exposure through his platform, his podcast, and bring me in on webinars that he's put together. So I'm delighted that I can return the favor. My friend Dr. Matt Pepsel will join us shortly to talk about his brand new book expand the circle, enlightened leadership for our new world of work. So most leaders are practicing outdated leadership approaches, according to Matt. They're overwhelmed, discouraged, and lacking confidence in their ability to make the impact they want. Does that sound familiar? And leadership, says Matt, was never really supposed to feel like this. So Matt wrote this book to give us a proven five-step plan for practicing what he calls enlightened leadership. So by adopting this approach, we're going to stop wasting time trying to figure out what leadership is supposed to look like and spend more time producing powerful results. So Matt's mission is to help us liberate ourselves from outdated behaviors that hold us back from our true potential. And he also does that as Vice President of Professional Services at the Predictive Index, or if you prefer, Matt has also been dubbed the godfather of talent optimization. Matt and I had a, well, what else? A enlightening conversation, and we would love it if you could share it far and wide to help us get to our goal of the 1 million downloads. Here's my conversation with Dr. Matt pepsell Enjoy
1: matt welcome to the 200th episode it's amazing marcel thanks so much for having me congratulations on your success this is awesome
0: yeah i appreciate that so we start the uh episode as we do with every guest like
1: this you ready i'm ready what's your story story boy it takes me back i tell you i I began my adult career in military service which was a great way to create a foundation of leadership in my experience and Translated that into the civilian world and worked as a software product manager for many years. Really enjoyed the nature of building things as part of a team and rising up in the ranks and everything was going really well. I decided to study a bit more at the PhD level to really refine my understanding of leadership and coaching and these types of things. And everything was going super well right until the wheels came off during the pandemic. And I experienced burnout like you read about, Marcel. It was it was uh, something that totally threw me for a loop. So that kind of is uh, is a big part of my story and, and a big part of uh, what brought me here today. Yeah, it's interesting
0: because as I was reading your book, you know, your military bra- background really comes comes into play in a uh, in a lot of stories uh, throughout your book. So we'll we'll yeah. bring that bring that to the discussion here in a minute. But um, you told me that you have offline. You told me that you have a love hate relationship with leadership. What's the deal there?
1: I know, right? So uh, the part I love is the fact that leadership holds such potential for us to really change our organizations for the better, to perform better, to help those people around us to grow and develop better. So I just hold such high hopes for leadership. And I take it so seriously, the, the practice and study of it. But at the same time, the hate part comes because it's just so woefully done in organizations. And it's not leaders' fault. I don't think we spend nearly enough time on leadership development and when we do we focus on techniques like delegation and communication and influence that are important but they're not complete. So I feel like there's uh there's this notion that we're not doing leadership uh, the the service that it's due. So that's that's the nature of my love hate relationship with it.
0: Yeah, that's a great segue for your book. By the way, if you're watching on YouTube, there it yeah. is. Expand the circle. So uh, let's let's dive into it, and yeah. uh, let's start first with uh, maybe um, giving us the the big idea behind the book.
1: Yeah the book the book uh, is really all about this notion that the work, as we all know, has changed dramatically. It's almost unrecognizable, mm. uh, and not even just since the pandemic. It's been going on for many many years. You know, when I first started my career, we had shifted into this knowledge economy and the dot com boom and all these kinds of things, which was really great, but it's a very different form of work than what we saw with prior service economies and industrial revolution, et cetera. Also, what we find for ourselves as workers, if you think about it, what we expect and demand of our work today is so different than it used to be. People used to work just to put food on the table. Yeah. In in most developed nations today, we're looking for a lot more. I see a lot about let's let's find meaning and purpose, and and uh, you know we, we want to have the right commute and all these kinds of things. Yeah. But what the big idea in the book is is that while those things have evolved leadership hasn't evolved. what I see really being taught and talked about with leadership is at least 50 60 years old in most cases so that was kind of the one of the aha moments that I had was we really need to take a fresh look at at the very old practices of leadership
0: yeah yeah all right so I, I love terms enlightened leadership that's in your in your subtitle so let's maybe start there with your own definition of you know what is enlightened leadership.
1: Yeah, for me when we talk about enlightenment it's really a sense of how do we cast off these outdated notions, these attitudes and beliefs we have about what leadership is? Many of them, you know, come from this command and control hierarchy from many many years ago and they're completely outdated and we impose these upon our workers because we just don't know any better. So in this case enlightenment is about stepping into these more uh, modern, more necessary, more contemporary, more selfless forms of leadership and that that word is the is the biggest a uh, turning point for me in what we need to see in an enlightened form of leadership is less emphasis on on self-interest. Yeah. Yeah. So you so you said that the enlightened leadership uh, uh, the, the term has been
0: around or maybe the actual philosophy or or uh, way of of leading in in that respect has been around for 2500 plus years. So I mean what are its origins <laughs> as if you were there right but take us back in time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the connection that I had, and I mentioned earlier, when I experienced burnout during the pandemic, I experienced this prioritization, reprioritization of values and my relationship with work, uh, just like so many of us did, right? At the same time, I I don't know why I chose to do this, Marcel, but having a midlife crisis in the middle of a global pandemic, you know, I wouldn't recommend it. But (laughs) basically what happened was I went and and, uh, resumed my long forgotten meditation practice. And I found these techniques, these uh, you know, Buddhist and other types of meditation techniques, and it really opened my eyes toward uh, kind of a, an infusion, if you will, of of Eastern practice with Western practice of of psychology and leadership. So when we talk about that, twenty five hundred years ago. There was a massive amount of focus and study on the mind and how to sort of move beyond self-interest to embrace these higher levels of of uh, successful living, for lack of a better term. And I find that those are completely appropriate and timely and necessary in our leadership today. That's great. That's great.
0: All right. So I'm curious, You're, you know you know that I'm a servant leadership guy. Where does servant leadership kind of fit into and enlighten the leadership or does it?
1: Oh, it absolutely does. I think servant leadership was such an important development in the history of, of leadership theory because for the first time, we saw that the relationship between a leader and, and their follower, for example, took on an importance of its own. It wasn't just simply the leader's position anymore that held all the power. It was the relationship that began to hold the power. So now we started to say, how can I serve others through the servant leadership you know, methodology while yeah. still serving the business, which was a really important shift. And I think that uh, uh, what you see now in organizations today is a continued move toward even more higher levels of selflessness. I'll give you an example of conscious capitalism. Yeah. So the work out of Whole Foods or Patagonia, there's so many you know high-profile examples today, or B corporations or corporate social responsibility. Organizations are acting more selfless than they ever have before, and that's not a coincidence. I think that leadership needs to follow suit and that's where I think servant leadership is a, a key ingredient and we can go even further you know toward that 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 uh, more selfless approach
0: yeah so this might be a little bit of a sneak peek on our uh, for our conversation but the the benefits of this leadership approach enlightened leadership extends beyond the workplace so explain that.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. You know, when you think about the uh, the walls came down, especially when we sent everyone home during the pandemic to be safe. Uh, those all knowledge workers who could, you know, we did that, and then all of a sudden we started seeing their pets and their partners and family members showing up on camera because there's almost a blurring completely of the lines between work and family. Yeah. So a very common example is the work experiences you have, whether they're positive or less positive. You know, you take that home with you. So the question about this enlightened leadership, part of it is about understanding and recognizing the inherent connectedness that we have mm-hmm. that's beyond sort of our our day-to-day vision so when you start thinking about how can i show up as a more effective leader in my community you know so an example i quote in the book is around habitat for humanity how do we give workers a little bit of paid time off to go work in their community and help some people in need in a way that they bring that goodwill back to work with them the next day. That's a very simple example and a powerful one about blurring the lines between the work we do in our organizations and how we can spill that out into our communities.
0: Yeah, yeah. So part one of your book gives us a a map and that starts with leading yourself first. So what's a good starting point here to, to mastering that piece of the puzzle as you widen the circle? It starts with you first.
1: It really does. And, and when I mentioned one of the meditation techniques that really inspired me was this notion of what's known as meta meditation, where you sit and you wish wellness and, and peace for yourself. And then can you spread that out to your family members and maybe out to your coworkers? Can you keep pushing out to strangers and, and finally out into the world? And I thought, man, that's exactly how I've approached my own leadership journey. I had to learn to lead myself before mm. I could lead others and lead my team and lead organizations and finally you know, spill that leadership out into the world. So you raise a really important question here, which is, well, okay, great. I want to lead myself. Where does that begin? Yeah, And uh, probably doesn't come as a surprise to many leaders is we have to begin with self-awareness. And if we don't have awareness of something, then it's impossible to really understand if we're accurately self-aware or whether we need to make some modifications. And and most leaders understand that, but a lot of leaders believe that they're self-aware. And the work of Tasha Yurik and others have have really proven that this is the case, that many of us aren't as self-aware as we need to be. Yeah. So that's kind of the very first uh, step along the path of leading yourself. For me, it was was beginning with self-awareness.
0: Yeah, this is great. So magic question here is, uh, well, a lot, of, a lot of us don't know. Well, first, thing, we don't know that we are not self-aware. And then as we pave the road to become more self-aware, we don't know what techniques are in place to, to, to help us to become more self-aware. So what yeah, would you say what would be a good a good tip for uh, people listening to you know to increase their self-awareness?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of us make assumptions that oh, of course I'm self-aware. I know it and then all of a sudden we get hit with surprises. I got passed over for promotion or somebody quit and I didn't expect them to and it turns out that during their exit interview it was me. Like these things happen to leaders who lack self-awareness. Yeah. So the first thing is are we even making the time for quiet reflection or have we allowed ourselves to get so busy that we just haven't even stopped to pay attention? That's a good place to start. Uh, There are several inventories and and techniques and tools that we can use for self-awareness too. But what about just asking others? You know, taking the feedback can help us improve the accuracy of our our self-awareness. And if we've created enough psychological safety, if we've created enough trust with our teammates, they know that they can be honest with us and say, you know, sometimes in meetings, you know, you cut me off and that doesn't feel great to me. You're like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. Like that's an example, a simple one of of raising self-awareness.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. So, speaking of um, things that get in the way, maybe let's let's talk about maybe the monkey wrenches that get uh, kind of get stuck. You know, we get stuck in the in the cog of the wheel because mm-hmm. um, you know we, we have so many differing priorities and so many um, you know things that we need to take care of on a day to day basis that gets us in the way of you know improving how we lead ourselves better. So, what would you say might get in the way of that happening?
1: Yeah. Pace is a big one today. I see that as organizations have either shed workers or tried to seek uh, efficiencies in this new economic reality we're in, the pace seems to be completely crushing people. I think that nobody I talk to is like, oh, I've got plenty of extra time to do work on the business or work on myself. So I think pace is a big one. But internally, we have those obstacles too, Marcel, as you pointed out. What about fear? Mm. What about pride? What about uncertainty, anxiety? These types of things really make it so we don't kind of want to lift up that rock and find out what are our soft underbelly spots. And in fact, the second step that I have in this lead yourself framework is self-acceptance. We're going to find things if we truly raise our awareness that we're not altogether proud of, either chinks in our armor when it comes to our personal traits, whether it's uh, negative work experiences we've had that we don't like to reflect on because they're painful, but in self-acceptance is tremendous power. If we were willing to incorporate that into our leadership, make ourselves vulnerable, it actually makes us more powerful, not less so. Um, But that's a trick, you know. It's it's hard to do that. So I I think those are some external and some internal factors that really hold us back.
0: Yeah, yeah. You have a little section on authenticity. You know, it's such a buzz term, Matt. So Mm -hmm. how how do we become uh, more authentic to lead ourselves better? I mean, maybe you can draw an example from maybe your military days. How do you become more authentic?
1: Yeah, not it didn't happen at first automatically. That's for sure. I, I had uh, I share an anecdote in in the book where I had this first leadership opportunity with a very small team, and I said, "I don't really know how to be a leader, so I'll just act like the other leaders I've seen." And I acted every way that wasn't natural for me. Yeah, You know, I was gruff and I was serious and I was all these things and I'm not naturally that person. And it felt like I was wearing this really tight coat that I had to take off. And only when I allowed myself to embrace a more authentic style that was still effective could I really step into the full mantle of my leadership? So it, it, that happened to me over and over again. My formative years, you know, because I was an enlisted person, uh, yeah, I got thrown out of college and landed in the Marine Corps, which was a, a, the best thing for me possible. And it took me a while, you know, to develop and understand that, you know, you have to find a way to accomplish the mission, but do it in an authentic way. Right, right. Okay. So as you expand the
0: circle, there's the title of the book and, uh, and, you know, on our, our path to become more enlightened as a leader, we, there, you have several steps, several circles as you widen out. I, I'm picking, I'm going a little further out. Sure. Um, and I'm picking the, the team level. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that. I mean, what do we need in place here to expand our, you know, our awareness and become more enlightened on a team level.
1: Yeah. One of the things that's really surprising to a lot of leaders is we have to recognize that while we work really hard on ourselves and increase that awareness and work on our capabilities and competencies and confidence and all these things, it's not about you Mm. really. And that's, that's hard for some leaders to, some leaders never make it there, to be honest with you. So when you come to the team context and you realize I'm the team leader, well, you could say, I, I'm the team leader, it's about me, and it's up to me to get this done, and I'm accountable, and blah, blah, blah. Well, that's the, one of the least effective leadership styles, because now you're talking about how do I cultivate and and encourage the collective energies of a group of people towards a common goal? Like That can't be just about you, right? And uh, And so one of the first things that I talk about in terms of what it takes to lead a team effectively in a more enlightened way is to begin with vision. What is Mm -hmm. it that you see? What's this desirable future state? And many leaders will just come out and say, well, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this. And you're like, okay, but there's not any emotion in that. Like We have choices when it comes to work about how hard we work and where we work and and whether you're going to get our our energy and and discretionary effort, as psychology nerds like me call it. So storytelling emerged for me in my research as a really important technique that we often overlook. And telling stories is a great way to rally energy and to give people you know, quick, memorable understanding about when it gets tough, what are we working toward? So I really enjoy working with leaders to help them with their storytelling techniques.
0: That's cool, man. That's cool. Okay. So I'm really big on, um, on identity, knowing who you really are, but you talk about the importance of team identification, you know? And so that, that really struck me. So unpack that for us.
1: Yeah. A lot of times what I found in the research is that, you know, when we start to have an affiliation with those around us, it meets one of our critical needs. And I kind of glossed over this in the beginning. I didn't mention it, but what happens if you find anybody at work who's kind of struggling a little bit, or if you personally are struggling like I was back in the pandemic, what I found in the research is that there's these three B's I call them that we all need. These are unmet needs that cause all kinds of problems in organizations. The three B's being, belonging, and something bigger than myself. We all want these things. We want to step into our own authentic and, and be complete and not have to hold back at work. We want strong affiliation with those around us. And we want to serve something that has purpose and meaning that's that's bigger than just our own self-interest. So we all have these to different degrees. But in the team context now, all of these play out. Can I be myself around my teammates? Or do I have to hold back? Do I have to shape impressions somehow? Like I can't naturally use humor because it won't be, that's, that doesn't feel good. Yeah. What about affiliation? Here's where the identity piece comes in. What we find is that team commitment and team effort goes up when I can identify and incorporate the team's identity into my own. So you can think about sports. That's a very common example where it's like, how do we identify with being a, a member of the team? Well, it's got the name right on the front of the jersey. We go to work and now all of a sudden, oh, I'm part of the accounting team. Well, that's not very exciting. That doesn't create a lot of energy and affiliation. So I found in the research that software teams and sales teams often give themselves fun names and it's not just cute and fun to do that it actually creates a sense of identity because there's this incorporation of hey I'm on the dream team if that's the name of your team for example and you're like this is the way the dream team does things you're like oh okay now I'm proud to be part of the dream team and so I think it's a missed opportunity for leaders who don't do that I'm working on a project back you know in my day to day it's called the eagle program it's meaningless however Eagle has taken on an identity that any of us who are part of the program now have an affiliation with that. And that's an important technique.
0: It's interesting. So I'm going to play a little devil's advocacy here. Okay. How does team identification uh, fit into the the world of diversity, equity, and inclusion? Because sometimes, you know, being identified with one group may exclude you if you don't fit that image of the group.
1: Yeah. And I think we have to choose those identities very carefully for that reason. But the umbrella under which the team can have affiliation, everybody brings their strengths to the team. And so making sure that we allow some team participation in choosing the identity so we don't accidentally exclude some people is important. Uh, But also that there are these clear opportunities to say, this is the team that I'm a part of because we do need that affiliation. It's Mm. just impossible if we say, well, this team is actually the entire company. You're like, okay, well, that's pretty watered down versus this group of eight of us are actually working on a special project that's a good opportunity to work together to select an identity that works for everybody in the group
0: got it okay let's expand uh the circle even uh, more outwardly so after um the the after you lead your team the next rung if you will is lead your organization now. That's right not all of us want to lead our organizations. We don't want to be you know, up in the C-suite. But so unpack that for us.
1: Yeah, so I think this is an example of more of an enlightened perspective is that leadership isn't just the domain of the most senior person in the room. Mm. So it's not only the CEO's job, for example, to lead the organization. Any one of us, I talk about leaders at every level or have an opportunity to influence the organization. And when we see ourselves as a connected whole, even for, think about the largest organizations you can think of, Amazon, Starbucks, Federal Express, doesn't matter. Any one of those people is a part of the collective whole of that organization and has an opportunity to lead the organization in a very specific way. We're all connected in in a way. So I can reinforce the cultural values, for example i can have an influence positively on the teams around me i can ensure that those around me uh, are are practicing self care there's lots of things i can do to lead the organization even though i'm not the ceo right yeah that's that's kind of a, a way to a, an important more enlightened way and, and a more a way that provides more agency and more autonomy even for people who are you know, first day on the job, brand new. You can still be a leader. You can lead yourself. You can honor the values of the company, and 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 be a good uh, organizational citizenship behavior kind of person. Those are great things.
0: Yeah, no, I love that, Matt. That that kind of puts the uh, it holds everyone accountable to to being you know protectors of the culture, if you will. And uh, and I think from a leadership standpoint, it, you also have to make sure that people are aligning with those overarching goals, you know, the mission of the organization, the vision, et cetera. And I know that's one of the topics in your chapter.
1: Yeah. And everyone wants to feel that the day-to-day work they do, whether they're delivering packages or making coffees or whatever the listeners and myself do day-to-day, how does it add up and connect to the organization's uh, beneficial output? Like, uh-huh. We're all in there. But when, when those lines get blurry and it's like, I can't really see how what I'm doing really connects to something that matters to me all of a sudden employee engagement dips job performance dips so team leaders you know make sure that everyone who's doing day-to-day work for you can see how they're connected to and aligned with the organization's mission even in a small way people really need to see their connection to the the organization's output
0: yeah, that's great.
1: All right, so as we widen that that circle out to
0: its to its most outer reach, we now get global. So it's to lead the world, and any of us, I should say, all of us, should be responsible for for doing that. So talk to us about what that looks like.
1: Yeah, one of the things I say is that um, I I do some of my best leadership at the grocery store. I don't work there, but I go there as a customer, and I see workers that are not having a great time because you know maybe they're. Uh, early career workers, they're not doing the most glamorous work, customers are frustrating and all these things. So I try to just take a moment out of my day to to brighten their day, maybe just engage with them a little bit, make sure I can do whatever I can to lift their spirits. And that to me is a form of leadership. And it's examples of techniques that I would absolutely do inside the the, uh, artificial four walls of, of my company. Why would I not show up as a leader when I'm buying my kumquats or whatever it is I buy? <laughs> so it's it's an example of of saying that we don't stop being leaders just because we're not technically on the clock, whatever that even means. So whether it's your family, whether it's your community, like you know, running errands or or serving a community, like we mentioned, habitat for humanity earlier, yeah. or possibly society at large. You know, there are big human interest causes. Or what about the planet? What about environmental causes? And what about even beyond, you know, just, just conceptual thought when you think about uh, the philosophical aims that we all have and need to make peace with? Like yeah, All of these places are leadership opportunities.
0: That's great. That's great. And it's, you know, a chance for everyone to kind of get active in, in your civic duties, right, and get involved in what's going on. If that means politics, great, because right now, yeah. <laughs> politics is a mess. And how do we bring people together more to the middle, so that we're not, you know, having these these um, mudslinging wars from the far left and the far right? And I think that, to me, I think that when you're talking about going global and expanding the circle, we need to expand it in that sense to just bring people together. We're so divisive right now.
1: Hundred percent. And I think you bring up a really great point too, Marcel, which is if you take the framework in its entirety, it can be a little bit overwhelming. So my counsel is always follow what I call the joyous energy. If you're really motivated by improving and doing work on your team at the team level, great, do that. Make your team as enlightened as you can. Make yourself an enlightened team leader as best you can. When you start talking about out into the world, you know, for example, politics doesn't really give me joyous energy, so I don't really participate there so much. Um, even Planet was something that I've only recently come to start to appreciate. I was drinking coffee with almond milk and my son comes home and goes, don't you know almond milk's carbon footprint? I'm like, what are you talking about? Now I got to worry about the carbon footprint of of almond milk? He's like, no, go with oat. I'm like, all right, fine. So (laughs) it's like, you know, not everybody's going to be into everything and you don't have to be. It's just a matter of saying, how can I elevate my own leadership by feeding whatever it is that's kind of tugging at me, whatever's giving me that energy. Let's follow that because it's coming from a very pure and natural place and it can take us to our next level.
0: Yeah. So, Matt, uh, uh, let me give you a bottom line question here. All right. So, away from all the circles and theories and and, and processes of, uh, of how to do that. I mean, how does one truly become an, an enlightened leader?
1: Yeah, I think that the first thing we have to do is we have to recognize that there's a certain amount of, I don't want to say study, but there's a certain amount of exposure that needs to happen. When you think about all the really wonderful books that are happening out there, I I include books from Simon Sinek and Brene Brown and Amy Edmondson and so many great thinkers today. Being exposed to their works or their TED Talks or podcasts like yours and newsletters like yours, these are great ways to get good information into your brain. That's the first part, is that you have to close out any gaps you have in your knowledge. But the second bit is you have to kind of reflect and internalize that and say, how's this showing up in my work? You know, if I listen to Marcel's podcast episode, I'm like, okay, what parts are really resonating with me and how do I internalize that? What do I want to do about it? And then the third final one is take action. Pick one small thing you can do as a result. One takeaway, you know, in in your case that that you gave us and say, how can I just get 1% better about that thing tomorrow until it feels like it's completely natural for me? So Hmm. to me, it's, it's a little bit of study, whether, you know, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a book, whatever it is you want, reflecting on that and thinking about it and applying it to your own work situation and world, and then taking action and doing something to progress just a, another foot or two down the path. You know, we're all on a journey. Those are those are three things I recommend.
0: Yeah. So I want to really, really tap into your why, your purpose in the world. What is your ultimate hope for people reading this book?
1: Yeah. I, it's, my ultimate hope, is going to sound ridiculous, is the elimination of suffering at work. Oof. I just see people struggle at work. I know, you know, you're talking about lifetimes of work here, but it's just so frustrating and sad to see people having bad days at work when we know so much about how to make it better. We just don't do the things. So, to toward that aim, I like to say that my mission is to teach leaders to liberate themselves from these outdated attitudes and beliefs. And I say that because we have the capability, if we're willing to do the work, to step away from fear and to step away from pride and these things that really hold us back, they're really self-imposed, Marcel. And so if I can teach leaders to liberate themselves even a little, then they'll show up that much better for their mission and for their people around them. And to me, that's going to get us toward that type of of an enlightened workplace uh, that I see in the future
0: well alleviate suffering in the world we you and i share that uh, uh, that very much alike. like um that's uh, part of my purpose as well and and the reason why i do everything i do matt is is for that reason so that's great you have okay. a
1: very powerful personal story that led you to all of your work and it yeah. resonated with me and i certainly related to it as well so i'm not surprised to hear that at all i think you're on the forefront of trying to uh, accomplish a, a very similar mission so yes. thank you
0: thank you um, all right, so as we wind down here, I, I pose you the leadership love question. So tradition on the show, I believe that, you know, love is the solution that will break these strongholds of uh fear and uncertainty and you know, bridge our divides and help us to connect with one another. and and so I, I think that that when you paint a picture of love with an accurate portrayal of what that means, in the workplace, helping one another, it, you know, agape love, it's uh, its being there for others. A lot of great things happen, um, uh, you know, and I think that the evidence asserts that uh, when you lead with love and care, um, mm-hmm. people also perform better. So yes. here's the question. How do we lead with more practical and actionable love day in and day out in the year 2023?
1: Yeah. To me, it really comes down to one simple thing, which is close the gaps, close the gaps. And here's what I mean by that. In the research, the one thing that surprised me when I was writing the book was all about fear. Fear showed up as destroying everything good in relationships and in organizations and in performance and wellness of employee, everything. So what is the opposite of fear? It's not courage. It is love to your point. And so when I think about now in my most enlightened days, and I don't have as many of them as I would like, I see nothing but unity and I see the connectedness that's inherent in all of our work processes. Yes, but all of our people. So for me, love is unity. And that means closeness, tightness. That means closing those gaps between what? If I can escape my self-interest as a, as a limited leader, and I move towards a more enlightened position, how do I close the gaps between the workers and our mission and the workers and themselves and, and the relationships that we have So wherever there's gaps that are forced by fear and anxiety and pride and all these negative things, how do we eliminate those things to really draw those closer together? And when people feel connected to the mission and to one another and to their own potential selves, that is the place of enlightened leadership. And that is only going to happen through love.
0: Uh, uh, Oh, man, that's good. That is good. Okay, we bring it home with two questions, Matt, as we do with every guest. Personally, what's really tugging at your heart? right now that you'd like us to know?
1: This may come as a surprise, Gen Z. Gen Z is pouring into the workforce right now, and they have the highest levels of inclusivity, of uh, agency wanting to be heard, wanting us to make changes, but they're also bringing the highest levels of anxiety and fear and concern that I've ever seen, that any of us have ever seen. And, you know, my only claim to fame is is having created three Gen Z people. But now that they're starting to enter the workforce and I'm I do a lot of consulting with very large organizations they say we have a problem with Gen Z. I said, "Well, what's the problem?" They said, "Well, all of our Boomer and Gen X yeah, leaders are starting to look at Gen Z and they're questioning their work ethic and their commitment. And, and if they're not going to put in the time, how are they going to end up where we are? And I said, well, they've seen where you are and they don't like it. Like, why would mm-hmm. they want to end up where you are? You, you're estranged from your family. You, you're working all hours. You look terrible. Like, right. it, it's, it's churning through the workforce. So I'm really curious about how we build a bridge to take and, and help Gen Z leaders, because I love where they're leading us, but they're going to need some support and assistance to get there. And how do we reeducate Sort of our um, our well-intentioned, more experienced leaders uh, and executives to make room and to accommodate and to realize that the way that they were brought up—meaning myself as a Gen X person was brought up—is a far cry different than what we need to show up as, and the the way that we need to create successful environments for for Gen Z and and even uh, late-stage millennial workers. Mm. Finally, Matt, you close us out your way with that one thing you'd like the
0: listeners to walk away with.
1: I think knowing that there is a path. I think I talked to so many leaders that are frustrated because they either don't get noticed, they feel they have to self-promote themselves, they're doing Google searches and not knowing, like, leadership is a very ambiguous concept and it's a little intimidating, But there is a path that can be followed. I give you one in the book. If you don't like that one, go find another one. But there are very specific uh, techniques and exercises and ways you can know you're making progress on a given path. You don't have to just flail around and flap around in the dark and be frustrated that six months went by and you're still no closer to being confident or being promoted than you were. So there is a path. Get your butt on the path. Walk the path. Ask for help. That would be what I would leave you with. That's great. Matt, if people want to connect with you, uh, show them where to go. Yeah, com is where you can learn all about me. And also uh, LinkedIn, I'm huge on LinkedIn. So I'm very easy to find there as well. And I would love to connect with you. Yeah, the book again is Expand the Circle, Enlighten Leadership for Our New World of
0: Work. He is Matt Pepsel, And it's been a blast hanging out with you today.
1: Thank you, Marcel. I appreciate you so much for having me.
0: Keep the conversation going on social media with hashtag love in Action podcast. And uh, look for my show notes, as well as a YouTube link, to this very conversation. Uh, and you can find all that on my website, Marcelschwantes.com. And hey, finally, if you're interested in sponsoring an episode of the show, let's chat. You can reach me on my website or find me on LinkedIn.
1: Thank you for listening to the Love in Action podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review. Until next time, don't forget, the future of leadership is love in action. Believe it, practice it and watch your business grow.